If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. This book is a treasure trove for the Christian. There's so much that we wouldn't know about the beginning of the church. And the Apostle Paul has uh, written much of the New Testament. And because of Acts, we know a lot more about Paul that we would not have known. And such is the case right now. Uh, In the section of Acts that we're in, we are looking at Paul's missionary journeys. It's a, a major part of this book. As the Apostle Paul was called of, of God, he was struck blind on the road to Damascus. Obviously, he put his trust in Christ at that point. He really didn't have much choice. And uh, he was sent out. You know, long story short, he began to go out in the name of Jesus and to preach the Gospel and to plant churches. And he had three missionary journeys that, that are recorded for us in the book of Acts. We believe there was a fourth, but as I've said before, it's not recorded for us here. But he is currently in his third missionary journey. And uh, probably here in a little bit, I'll, I'll get into the map and uh, do a little bit of catch up and kind of where we're going forward. It's, it's good to review that from time to time. Um, but we're on his third missionary journey and... The majority, I wouldn't say the majority, but a good part of this chapter is just logistics. Paul's going from this place to the next to the next. So we'll move pretty quickly through that. It's the latter part of the chapter that I really want to zero in on. And Paul is going to be addressing the elders, the pastors from the church in Ephesus. This is where Paul has been for the last three years. It's the longest that he has been at any church that he planted. Uh, Second to that was Corinth. He was there for a year and a half. So undoubtedly, he had a very special and beautiful connection with this church and with the leaders. And so Paul is going to address the elders, and he's going to speak some very special and very powerful words to these men. These are kind of like Paul's last words. It carries tremendous weight. And I've titled this, Crucial Words from a Pastor's Heart, because that's really what we're seeing today. We see many different sides of Paul, but today we're going to see Pastor Paul. And we're going to see him uh, encourage, exhort, plead with, caution, warn, remind the elders in a, a very deep and sincere way. And uh, this is a, I said it's a treasure trove for the Christian, but honestly it's a treasure trove for pastors too. And I'll, I'll hit on those things as we work our way through it, but this is a classic text for pastoral training, pastoral discipleship, as I have been in seminary and had other pastors pour into me, uh, this is always one that comes up frequently. There's so much to be gleaned from the example that Paul gave and the, the uh, instructions that Paul gave. So that, that's really where we're heading here today, but it's going to take us just a little bit to get to that point. So we're going to pick up in verse 1. Actually, let me just uh, seek the Lord's face on our behalf real quick. God, we need You. I dare not approach Your Scriptures without asking Your blessing. Um, I need You, Lord, to open Your Word to me and to us. I need Your Spirit to move in this place. Your Word is living, it is powerful, it is sharp, and it is able, God, to, to lay us open and to expose the things that need to be addressed in our lives, any misconceptions we may have of You. Lord, anything, God, have Your way in us today. I pray that by Your Word You would reveal Yourself to us in a greater way and that You would be honored, that You would be glorified. Lord, may this be a continuation of the worship that we've already entered into. 
And I pray that You would minister. There are many different needs in this room right now. And I know very few of them, God, You know them all. And nothing is beyond Your reach. You are able, God, and You are willing. You desire, Lord, to reach out to the broken heart and to, to bring comfort, to bring healing. You desire to seek and save the lost. You desire to continue to encourage and stir up those who are on fire for You, Lord, and every other need represented in between. I pray that You would do that by Your Word today and by Your Spirit. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. And he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. So you'll recall last week there was the the riot that happened in Ephesus. Demetrius rose up. He was a, a craftsman, a silversmith, and he got all the other idol makers upset. He said, this guy Paul's coming in here. People are turning away from Diana to the true and living God. That's my paraphrase. And basically their, their trade was in danger of falling away entirely. So he got everybody upset. And they created an uproar there in Ephesus, and the mob went crazy. And so uh, a couple of the brothers were apprehended. The city clerk ran in and kind of calmed the crowd down and reminded them, you can't do this, you're going to get us in trouble with Rome. Oddly enough, they listened to reason, they stood down, they dispersed. And so now Paul departs from Ephesus. And uh, we're told that he goes to Macedonia and then to Greece. So let's just go ahead and take a look at the map now. I don't know what's the best time to do this, so there's a lot to cover. Okay, so, as I said, Paul would always launch out from right here. Down here is Israel, and so this is Antioch. This is kind of the, the um, missionary launching church, if you will. So the first time Paul came up in here, and this was pretty much where he spent his first missionary journey, and we know he was stoned, to death, we believe, came back to life. That was kind of the end of the journey. I understand why. And so he went back. So the second time he launches back out from here again, he goes back to the same place, oddly enough, and he gets Timothy, takes Timothy with him. And then they go up through here, but they weren't really able to go here or here because the Holy Spirit stopped them. We talked about that. So they landed in Troas, I believe it was. And that's where they picked up Luke, you'll recall, because the language switches from they and them to us and we. So Luke actually became an eyewitness at that point because Paul picked him up in Troas. So this is Asia. That's important. This is one major region right here. And this is Macedonia. And then down here we have Greece, up here Italy, Rome. And so they're going to be moving from major regions to regions, especially today. So they did. They went up through here. They came all the way down. You'll remember they came down into Greece and Paul uh, preached to the Athenians there and he spent about a year and a half in Corinth. 
And then finally he made his way back over to uh, home. That was the end of that journey. So now he's on his third missionary journey. So he launches off again. And this time he kind of makes a beeline straight over here to uh, Ephesus. And he's there for three years. And so, as I said today, he's going to take off. And he's going to go back up here to Troas. And then he comes over to Philippi. And he's already done that. And he picks up Luke. You'll notice that the language just changed here. He had picked Luke up in the second missionary journey in Troas, dropped him off in Philippi. The language changed again back to them and they. And then several years passed as Paul continued his second missionary journey. Now he's traveling back through here again on his third missionary journey, and he picks up Luke with him. Now Paul had come down to Greece, we were told, for three months, and then there was an uprising again that took place. So he went and decided to go back through Macedonia. That's when he picked up Luke. The group had already gone ahead of him, so him and Luke caught back up with him down here in Troas. So we'll stop right there. Does that make sense? Did y'all track with me on that? I did all that by memory. Impressive, huh? Okay. So now they're all in Troas. The whole group is together. Uh, there is seven guys with, with Paul at this point. I had read all the names already. I won't name them again. Um, and Luke is with them now, so eight. All right, so verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And Paul continued speaking, and he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and had talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So this is an interesting little interlude in the, the logistics of Paul traveling from place to place. We're told here he is, he's teaching, he's going to be leaving the next day, so he has an extended time of teaching here. He teaches well into the night. In fact, we're told he stays up most of the night. But at this point, he's teaching till midnight. We're told that there are, um, there are many uh, lamps in the room. So some people have suggested that the fumes from the lamp, it was too much for this guy Eutychus. And uh, so he goes over into the window to try to get some fresh air. Um, I'm sure that Paul's teaching, you know, wasn't, helping the matter you got hours and hours of teaching and then the fumes from this candle this guy's doing everything he can to to wake up and uh, he ends up being the death of him basically and so i mean obviously the story ends well because paul brings him back to life he revives him and it seems like he did really die because luke says he was taken up dead it doesn't say as though he he were dead and luke was a physician he was pretty specific about those kinds of details and so um, Paul goes down and, and brings the guy back up and there's, there's joy. But it, it's kind of humorous, for a pastor anyways, because we understand all too well what it's like looking out at the crowd of people sleeping uh, during teaching. And that's something that I've had to you know, get over early on in my ministry. Um, I remember when I first started sitting in on Bible studies, I was at U-Turn for Christ there and there was a pastor that came in 
And it was a hard ministry, very rough ministry there. And uh, guys worked hard. They, you know, uh, it was hard for them to keep their eyes open. And um, the pastor said, you know, if, if people fell asleep, they would get in big trouble. And they'd have to dig holes at nighttime, this whole different thing. Uh, as I said, it was a really rigorous, regimented ministry. But uh, he said, you know what, if you fall asleep, I'm not, it's okay. He said, I'm just here to minister to you guys. If some of you, all you need is you know, a little bit of sleep, and that'll help you to make it another day. I thought, that's interesting. I never really thought of that, you know. And so I've always kind of kept that mindset. And anyways, I made the mistake of trying to copy him. Years later, I was teaching at the same ministry, and I made that statement. And the guys were like, all right, sounds good. And they just laid down on the couches. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, all right, I didn't mean all that. And so, um, kind of funny, but, you know, you see people that are struggling to keep their eyes open. They're doing the high eyebrow thing. Well, then some people, they don't even care. They'll just, like, put their head on their spouse's shoulder, and they're, like, out, you know. And I'm just like, okay, I see what's going on here. And so, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. It's been happening from the beginning. Preachers have been struggling with sleeping congregants, you know. And so, it is what it is. Um, all right, well, this is kind of similar to, to Jesus. Paul says, hey, don't worry, he has life in him, and which leads you to believe, like, well, was he alive or dead? What, what happened? And Jesus kind of did the same thing. You'll recall the, the young lady in Luke 8, she was dead, and he came to her house, and all the people were grieving and mourning hysterically. And Jesus said, you know, hey, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And then they instantly started laughing and mocking him. It's kind of the same thing here. You see the similarity in, in the nature of this, this miracle. And so, uh, great joy to be had. Obviously, the guy is brought back to life. That's a crazy story. And uh, Paul goes on. So, verse 13. Now we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, <clears throat> intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, y'all, map time, round number two. All right, so <clears throat> let's see, where are we? Okay, so there they are. Now the group is going to sail around this little peninsula here, and the language is kind of confusing, but Paul actually walks across. Paul walks across, they sail around, they meet back up, they sail to Mytilene. From there, they're going to go all the way down here to Chios, and then they come down here to, I believe this is Samos. It's kind of hard, it's a little bit um, confusing, but we're told that he goes from... Samos to Trogilium, Trogilium, and uh, it's kind of a, a piece of land, a promontory. Does anybody know what that is? A promontory, okay? It's kind of like a peninsula, but not quite. I'm confused. I, don't, I can't really tell the difference between the two. But uh, it juts out into the water, and as best I can make, it seems like that's still connected to Samos there. So that's where Paul stays. And then finally, they come to Miletus. So here they are in Miletus. All right, so Paul bypassed Ephesus. He had been there for three years. He's in a hurry to get to where he's going. They're trying to make it to Israel for the feast. 
And so um, he doesn't go back. And I, I can understand why he kind of left in a hurry because of everything that had happened with the riot. He had a lot of relationships there, a lot of special bonds that had been built over a period of three years. But it's very important to Paul that before he goes, he has these last words that he wants to share with these elders. This is like the last words of Pastor Paul. This is serious. He loves this church. He loves these people. He knows the difficulties that will be facing them. And so he, he bypasses Ephesus, but he stops at Miletus and he calls for the elders of Ephesus, the pastors, to come and meet him there on the shores of Miletus. And then he delivers this beautiful farewell speech to the elders there. And so now we enter into that, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia and in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you. And I taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is reminding the elders here of his conduct and his ministry when he was among them. And Paul starts by saying, you know that uh, the manner that I lived when I was among you from the first day until now. So Paul had been very consistent. Paul had been very transparent. Paul was accessible to them. He lived among them. And that's important. It's important for a pastor to be amongst his people to be accessible to them, to be the same guy in public that he is behind closed doors, to be very transparent and open, and to be very consistent, to be the same as much as is possible. And Paul said, that was true of me. You know me. You know who I am. You know what I'm about. I was here. I was among you. I lived amongst you. I served. I worked amongst you. I've been very open, and I have been very consistent. From the first day until now, you know Pastor Paul. And that's important because some pastors, they're not that way. You can't find them. You really don't know who they are. Um, I won't go any further than that. But, uh, you know, it's important to have a pastor right there that, that you can say, hey, I'd like to get to know you. Hey, what do you think about this? Or so on and so forth. You want to be able to know your shepherd. And I, as an under-shepherd of the Lord, am responsible for the flock here, and I want to know you. I want to know you all as best as I possibly can, and I want you to know you can come to me at any time. Well, Paul said, you know how I serve the Lord in much humility. First thing I, I note here is that what Paul did, he did it for the Lord. And this is a lesson for all of us. It's really easy for us to fall into the trap of doing what we do out of responsibility, or it becomes obligatory, but sometimes we just have to come back to, we do what we do for the Lord. Amen? We don't do it for approval. We don't do it for thanks. We don't do it for notoriety so that we can be seen. And honestly, the real trap is not to do it so that we get some sense of fulfillment or, or purpose or satisfaction out of it. Though that may come because we're doing what God has called us to do. We always want to come back to whatever we do, we're doing for the Lord. And you'll need that. You'll need to hold on to that when things get really hard. Whatever God has called you to do and it gets really hard, you can always go back to, hey, I'm serving the Lord. 
And it's before the Lord that I rise or fall. And it's the Lord that will reward my, my uh, service ultimately. And so that was Paul. And Paul said that he served the Lord and he did it in humility, tears, and trials. Paul was a humble man. He really was. He took all kinds of beatings. People talked badly about him. He lived in very poor conditions at times. And he was willing to do that as the great apostle you know, he was willing to humble himself and take the lesser route. He took the path of our Lord. You know, he said, that I may know the Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul walked through suffering, Paul walked through hum- humiliation and, and tears and in fear and in trembling and in many trials. And we know this Paul was a man that endured many, many trials beyond anything that most any of us will ever experience. And he says, you know what though, I didn't hold anything back. I didn't hold anything back that was helpful to you, but I said it, I spoke it, I preached it to you. And that's, that's so important, guys, that a pastor carries the responsibility to say it. I stand before God and it's my job to speak the truth to you in love. My wife has said to me, sometimes I wish you'd smile more. You're just so serious all the time. And I hope that the love comes through, you know, um, because I, I love you guys, and I hope you know that. And I think many of you do know that. But it's important. I have a charge before God to speak the truth, the whole truth, and to, to proclaim His Word. And a lot of pastors out there might not necessarily be saying the wrong thing, but sometimes it's what they're not saying that really screams. And so that, that is a temptation that is ever before any, any pastor. And so Paul said, I didn't hold anything back. I told you the truth. You know, it's hard to tell someone the truth when it hurts. Right? And we can all relate with that, right? Sometimes you feel like you need to tell somebody something for their own good, but you don't want to because it's a painful conversation to have. Nobody likes conflict for the most part. I mean, there are people that like conflict. I'm sure we know a couple in our lives. But by and large, people don't like conflict. And it's hard to say hard things. Um, but Paul did that. He said the good things, the bad things. He said the confusing things. He, he went there. He said, I didn't hold it back. If it was helpful for you, I, I spoke it to you. You know, the Scriptures talk about that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who loves you will tell you the truth even if it hurts, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, the people who don't love you and they'll smile to your face and they'll tell you everything that you want to hear. They won't tell you what you, what you need to know. Iron sharpens iron. Amen? And there are sparks. There is friction. Fires can get started. But the bottom line is, Paul was willing to, to speak anything and everything that was helpful and he didn't hold back. And he did so out of love. And he said, I was there in public and I was there house to house. That's very important. Paul preached in public settings. Um, you'll remember last week I talked about how he taught for a couple years in the, the school of Tyrannus, the halls of Tyrannus there. Um, and we know that he spoke in the, the synagogues. He, he spoke publicly, but he also would go house to house. And that's, that's important, guys. So much, a lot of the Christian faith, you know, a good bit happens in this building. Public ministry is important. We come together on the Lord's Day to celebrate and to remember the resurrection. We come for mutual edification, encouragement, and we worship the Lord corporately and extol Him and and lift Him up. But we should also be fellowshipping house to house. We should be meeting outside of the church. If this is all we're doing once a week for an hour and a half, 
guys, we are doing a real disservice to ourselves. I need you guys. We need each other. And I don't know about you, but I actually like you guys. And I like seeing you guys. I like being around you guys. And it's good to be with the saints more than an hour out of the week. So that's why Wednesday night, life groups, um, the supper six thing that's coming up, uh, uh, the meals at the end of the service, there's all kinds of ways even beyond that that we can be connecting uh, outside of the church. And Paul was about that. Paul was a public minister, but he was a private minister. And he was willing to go house to house. And that's important. It's important that, that uh, elders, pastors, ministers, leaders are willing to do just that. And so Paul said, hey, I preached in public, I taught in public, and I taught house to house. He certainly did that. He confirmed those things in uh, private settings. He said, I ministered to the Jews and the Greeks. Paul ministered to both Jews and Greeks. And what I, I love about this, this is very simple, but very uh, complex in that the Gospel is exclusive. It just is. There's only one way. And Jesus makes that very, very clear. He doesn't apologize for it. From cover to cover, you understand there's only one God, there's only one way. And so there's the exclusivity of it. And a lot of people don't like that. They're offended by that. That's a whole other study. But at the same time, it's inclusive. Whoever will. Whoever will. And so Paul preached to the Jews and the Gentiles. He was no respecter of persons. He tried to go everywhere. He tried to be everything to all people so that some might be saved. So the Gospel is exclusive. There's only one way, but it's inclusive. It's whoever will. And that's the Lord. He loves you, and He has made a way. We've talked about that already. And it's open to anybody who will, but there's only one way. You can't say, well, I have my own way. That's idolatry. Okay, When you create a God in your own image and you create your own path of salvation, that's idol worship. That's idolatry. And we want to know the true and the living God, and we want to worship Him the way He has said we ought to worship Him. And that is the way. Okay. Um, and then ultimately he said, you know, my message was turn to God and believe on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. That's the Gospel. Paul was a Gospel preacher through and through. You've got to turn away from your old ways. You've got to turn away from your wickedness. You've got to turn away from sin. And you've got to put your trust in Christ. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is who He said He is. Confessing that you are who God says you are. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I'm in trouble, and if I die like this today, I'm going to hell. That's just the condition of man. But then you also confess that you believe that God is who He says He is, and that He has sent His Son, and that Jesus has died for me, and He has taken my punishment upon Himself, and He rose from the grave. So that if I believe on the name of Jesus and the work that He has accomplished on the cross, I'm saved. Amen? That's the Gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't keep any amount of rules to get it. You have to simply believe. And that is so counter to every other religion or ism out there. Every other one says man has to work his way to God. Man has to do something. He has to do more good than bad in order to get there. And that is across the board. Christianity is the one that says you cannot, so God did it for you. That's the good news of the Gospel. And when you put your trust in Christ and you are born again, born from above, then begins the road of discipleship. That's where the challenge really starts to come in because it's hard walking 
uprightly in this world, is it not? Um, but that, that is the challenge, but that is the beauty. I love the life of, of Christianity. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I was thinking about that just this morning. I love God. I love His Christ. I love the Gospel. I love the church. And I, I love this adventure that I'm on. My life is an adventure. I hope yours is. It ought to be. If it's not, then you need to get in the game. If it's not an adventure, that tells me something. Okay. So verse 22, he said, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count myself, my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul said, I go now bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Now Paul knew everywhere he went what awaited him. The Lord had made that clear. He said, I must show him the things that he will suffer early on when Paul had uh, first been called by the Lord. And he would have frequent reminders of, of this. It wasn't long that Paul would get rest in between the trials and tribulations that would constantly pop up. But he says, I go bound in the Spirit. Paul was bound to do the will of the Lord. Nothing was going to stop that. Until the Lord called his number and took him out, Paul was going to move forward and he was bound. He had, a, he had an obligation there. God placed a call on his life and he was going to do it even if it was the death of him. And it was the death of him. We believe that he did ultimately go on to be beheaded under Caesar Nero. <clears throat> and so he was true to his word. These things that he said, that was truly Paul. And so he said, I go bound in the Spirit. He was going to do the Lord's will, period. Do we have that same kind of wherewithal? You know, I'm going to do the Lord's peri- uh, will, period, no matter what. I go bound in the Spirit. That was the kind of steadfastness that Paul had. He said, I'm not swayed by these things. I'm not deterred by these things. And may I say that we can be by much less. Oh man, the things that we get discouraged over. And I'll speak to, of myself too. Some of the things that we get, we get bent out of shape over or offended by or discouraged over. And I think about the condition of the church around the world and the things that our brothers and sisters are going through on the other side of the world. And then I think about my little issues. And, uh, you know, I heard a guy say one time, you know, the, the book of Acts, the church there, man, they were just unstoppable. He said, you know, I look at us and I think, we're pretty stoppable. We're pretty stoppable. You know, the teaching's too long, or the pastor's boring, or the children's ministry, this thing, or the worship over there. You know what, I'm out of here. Kind of stoppable, it seems like. You know, and not so with Paul. And he was not going to be swayed or moved. And he said, you know what, I don't count my life dear to myself. And that is the language of the Lord. That's one of the things I love about the apostles is you can see so frequently how they have been affected by Christ. You can hear it in their language. You can, hear, you can pick up on things that they say and you say, I know where they got that from. I know where they heard that. And he said, I don't count my life dear to myself. And we know Jesus said that in Luke 17.33. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. Try as you may, you can't hold on to this. 
You have no control. And I think that we all know that. And so you can spend your life trying to pursue self-preservation, self-promotion, safety, security, comfort, building your kingdom. Or you can let that go and you can say, God, I am yours. And I am not going to try to save my life or keep my life. And then you will find true life. And Paul knew that. And that's why Paul was willing to, to undergo the difficulties that he did because he didn't count his life as dear to himself. You know, he said, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's, it's gain. You know, that was it. It was a win-win situation for Paul. He was either going to stay here and serve the Lord or he was going to die and go and be with the Lord. But he didn't really cling to his life. He didn't count it as dear to himself. I guess, do we cling? Are we clingy? Are we clingy to the things of this world? Are we clingy to relationships? Are we clinging to, to positions? Are we clinging to career? Are we clinging to fill-in-the-blank our kids? Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Paul said, I didn't count any of that. It was all rubbish. It was all rubbish. It was all garbage next to the surpassing worth of the knowledge of the Lord. And he said, I want to finish my race and I want to do it with joy. You know, the, the more I hang around the older cats in, in, in uh, ministry and, and the faith, I hear them say that a lot. I hear guys start to take up that language. I just want to finish well. That's all I care about at this point in my life. I've come this far. I want to finish well. Because you know what, guys? Unfortunately, a lot of people don't finish well. And we hear tragic stories all the time of people who don't finish their race with joy. And Paul said, not me. Not me. He said, I'm going to finish my race and I'm going to do it with joy. I mean, how many of us see our lives as running a race? It's a race of endurance, but we are in a race nonetheless. And Paul understood that. He understood that he was in a war. He understood that he was an athlete. He understood all of that. He had all of those analogies. He said, but at the end of the day, when I finish, I want to finish with joy. I want to hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear, Right? And we don't want to be ashamed when the Lord appears. If the Lord should come back today, we want to be excited. We want to be filled with joy. We want to be able to say, Lord, look, I took the, I took the five talents that You gave me and look what I have done. Now I have ten. That's what we're aiming for. That's what Paul was aiming for. And he said, I want to do that with joy. So verse 25, And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So Paul said, hey guys, you're not going to see me anymore, this is it. I know that after today you will not see my face again. And this was deeply disturbing for them. He said, but you know what? I'm innocent. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. He was innocent before the Lord because Paul did what he was supposed to do. Paul knew that he did what God called him to do and no matter what happened beyond that point, he was innocent. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to be. It's good to be innocent. I remember when I first came to Christ and I experienced that. And I knew what it felt like to no longer be under God's judgment and to no longer have guilt and condemnation, but to be clean and clear and free. It's a glorious thing. Innocence. 
And he said, you know what? I have declared to you the entire counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. And that's, that's kind of like the battle cry of Calvary Chapel. You'll hear so many pastors say that. To declare unto them the whole counsel of God. That's why we, we don't want to play around. We don't want to take any chances. So we literally try to give you the entire Bible. And we don't just pick and choose messages from the Bible. We don't do series which there's... Uh, that's, that's fine and that's good and it can be very, very helpful and it can be quite the blessing. But we just want to give you God's Word. You know, I want to present to you the most accurate understanding of God that I possibly can. I want to present to you the most accurate understanding of His heart, of His will, of His desires for my life and your life. What better way to do that than to just take God's Word and give it to you? Do you think I can improve upon this? No, I think not. And I dare not even try. So I just want to give it to you. And that's ultimately what we do. In the South, we call it reading and splaining. Alright? And so, I'm reading the Word and splaining it to you as best I can. Alright? Paul did that. He didn't shun to declare the whole counsel of God. Remember, he said, I told you everything. I didn't hold anything back that was helpful to you. Now he, he's going to exhort the elders. He says, keep a watch on yourself and on the flock. And this is important and it's sobering. Paul's leaving now. And he said, guys, first and foremost, watch yourselves. And that's something that I've noticed a lot in, in uh, Bible college classes. You get that a lot. The first thing that I have to watch is me. Okay, I have to make sure I'm in check. That I'm walking rightly before the Lord. That I'm upright and my my walk with Him, my marriage, you know, everything. And then I am to keep an eye on the flock. I'm to, to try to keep my finger on the pulse and be on the lookout and just trying to understand how you guys are doing, where are you at. You know, so he says, keep an eye on yourself because at the end of the day, we are all susceptible. We, we can fall short. And we're to guard our hearts, to guard our minds. And then we are to keep an eye on the flock as faithful under-shepherds to the Lord. He reminds them that the flock belongs to Jesus. That may be one of the most sobering things. Jesus died and purchased you with His blood. You guys belong to Him. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and have been washed clean of your sins, then you are His, and it's because He shed His blood for you. And so I've been put in charge of trying to love you guys and serve you, teach you, help you in any way that I possibly can, walk through life with you. But ultimately, you're not mine, you're the Lord's. And I have to answer to God for how I care for His people, for His sheep, the ones that He died for. That's incredible. You know, think about that. Jesus shed His blood for us. Sometimes I think about that, you know. Um, sometimes you hear someone, I'll just use this as an example, you hear a, a joke, crude humor, the temptation is to laugh at it, Right? Uh, and then I, I get hit with the thought, man, Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that sin right there. And I'm going to laugh at that. You know, sometimes I think we need to take more seriously that Jesus shed His blood for, for sin, for things that, that we're uh, tangled up in. But I realize He shed His blood for me and for you guys. And I've been put in charge to try to lead. And that's a, that's a tall order. And He reminds them, Okay, there's only one, one king, there's only one Lord of the church, and that's Jesus. It ain't you guys. He was letting the elders know that. 
And unfortunately, that message got lost in time because then there became a big war centuries later. Who is, who is the head of the church? Is it the King of England or the Pope? You know, Neither. It's Jesus. The King didn't shed His blood for the people. The Pope didn't shed His blood for the people. Jesus did. It's His church. Okay. Um, verse 29, For I know this, that after My departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul said, look, I'm going to go and savage wolves are going to come in. False teachers, uh, they're going to come in and they're going to try to tear the flock apart. They're going to try to ravage the church. And he said that some from among this very group. That had to have been a very sobering moment. He said, I'm going to leave. People are going to come in and try to destroy the work of God here. Even some of you that I speak to today from within this group are going to be in that number. He says, so remember, for three years I warned you. And he tells them to watch. Stay sober, stay vigilant. Watch. He said, for three years I warned you with tears. And now Paul's going to go. But then there's this encouragement here. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul couldn't stay forever, but God was the one that was going to keep them. And Paul had that confidence there. He said, I commend you to God and the Word of His grace. Paul knew that. He wasn't the Lord of the church and he wasn't the Holy Spirit. So Paul would plant churches, he would, he would water, he would invest, and then he would go. And then he would trust that God is going to take that work and it's going to continue on. Paul was not the one that kept those things going. You understand that. In ministry, pastors, leaders, uh, we're, we're expendable. We, we come and we go, but it's God that breathes life into a work and it's God that sustains it. And Paul said, I'm going to go and there's going to be hardship and there are going to be savage wolves that are going to come in and try to tear apart the flock, but I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. And He is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. And I'm so grateful for that because that would be a heavy weight for me to carry if I thought that it was on me. It's not on me. It's the Lord. You need God. Okay? Only He can satisfy. Only He can fulfill you. Only He can truly sanctify. Only He can save. Only He can guide. Only He can protect. And only He can ultimately glorify you on that day. Alright. Verse 33. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul was not in ministry for financial gain, and that is the understatement of a lifetime. And it was so obvious as you observed his ministry. He said, I worked to provide for my needs and those who were around me. And most pastors that I know have done that or are doing that. That's just part of it at times. Some guys will spend their entire ministry having to work a job and serve uh, in addition to that. Some men are blessed to be able to be supported by the church so that they can give all of their lives to the church. And Paul at times was able to do that. 
And Paul at times worked, but he was willing to do whatever it took. And that's exactly the example that he gave. And he said, I, I demonstrated for you. I showed you how to, how to labor, how to work, how to sacrifice, and how to care for the weak. And then that, that phrase there, he says, for our Lord has said it's more blessed to, to give than to receive. It's kind of cool because that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Gospels. That's the only place that we see that little phrase. And John's Gospel tells us that Jesus said and did so much that all the books of the world could not capture it. But we have this little thing here where Paul says, you know, the Lord said. And so it's kind of cool. It's like, I didn't know the Lord said that. That's neat. And it's so true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm sure we all know that. I mean, it's cool to receive. I'm sure we all like to be blessed and, and uh, to receive gifts and things like that. But man, it is wonderful. It truly is a blessing to give. And in God's economy, it's amazing. The more that we give, the more God gives. Here on earth, the more that we give, God replenishes. God, you can't outgive God. But then as we give here on earth, we're storing up treasures in heaven. Where are you going to get a better deal than that? You're not. And so Paul reminded them of his ethic while he was amongst them, his generosity, his sacrifice, his work, his example. And then uh, closing now, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So they were deeply distressed. They would see Paul no more. They wept freely. It's a beautiful thing to see the love that they had for each other. And Paul, like a true pastor, prayed for these guys. He prayed for them. They, they got down on their knees and they prayed together before Paul went his way. So this is a, a, a wonderful text. So much to glean from. And I don't want to try to pinpoint any one thing. I would encourage you to go back and mull over this and consider these things. Um, and we'll, we'll close with that. I want to have the uh, worship team come up. I want to close with a song. And just as Paul prayed for the elders there, let me pray for you guys. Father, we love You. And I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here. I pray a special blessing upon their lives, upon their families, upon their jobs, upon their ministries. Lord God, I, I lift them up to You in the name of Jesus and I ask that You would pour Your Spirit out upon them in a fresh way today. I thank You for the church. I thank You for the saints that You have purchased with Your own blood, Jesus. And I thank You that we come together now in Your name and worship You and celebrate You, O oh God. And I thank You in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.